the affordability aspect, unfortunately. Um, so this is just another co-housing community um, depicting the cluster design. Um, this is Pacifica, um, and I thought I would just kind of point out some things, kind of orient you here. Um, we are here in the middle at the, at the guest at the common house, and the guest house is across the breezeway there. The idea of that being our homes can be smaller; we don't have to have guest rooms in our homes. We have a guest house to share. Um, and <laughs> so, um, because we have the pedestrian walkway in the middle, we have oh, um, the parking all on the perimeter. Um, this is the um, play field over here. There's a garden area here, as well as over here, along here. This is the pond. Um, there's that traffic circle and um, playground here. And we have another garden area right there. And then there's three bike sheds. And this is part of, we own this part that goes down to this dry gulch creek, um, but it's undeveloped. We've kept that forest. And down there is, um, at that direction, is Bullen Creek. Y'all know Bullen Creek. Um, the town, the town of Carborough actually bought the Adams Tract, which is the, parceled land um, just to, um, to to that side of us. Um, so we're grateful to them because that means there won't be any more development between us and the creek. Um, unfortunately, we had to take away some people's running trails when we, when we built here. But <laughs> um, there's some other, you know, commons I haven't actually visited yet. That's another one in Durham. And this is an aerial photo of their clustered in, um, appearance. Um, and the pedestrian walkways are a big deal. I mean, we just love it, you know, having all the parking on the perimeter and being able to walk through. And these are just some beautiful photos of some other places, um, other co-housing communities in the United States that have that um, feature with the parking all on the periphery. Um, just some cute pictures. <coughs> in all different states. And passive solar is also a big piece. Um, you'll notice these homes, this look at this room for example, the bigger windows are on the south side and that's where we also have the, um, what do they call it here? Well it's the, the concrete slab which is a large thermal mass. So when the sun comes and heats it, it holds the heat and can give it back at night. So um, when the nights are colder, the floor is giving off heat and you have to use less energy to heat your home when you have that design. Um, so all of our ground floors have, have this um, concrete slab um, and the large windows on the south. And of course, solar energy. The top left is a picture, a prototype. I don't know if you can really tell what that is, but it's an old bicycle. That um, that ha that uses some some wind power as well as the solar to to um, to be a street light um, generates light for a street lamp. Um, we were aspiring towards this cute thing, but we didn't get there. And so we do have solar powered street lamps, but it's just a solar panel <laughs> with a battery in the ground underneath it. Um, and the the house on the upper right is Giles Blunden's house. He's our architect, and he lives at Arcadia. And here in North Carborough, and his home is totally off the grid. So he's got, you see his house with the with the thing on top, 
um, and all the solar panels. And then behind it is a little shed that is just packed with batteries. <laughs> so his, um, his solar-generated energy is going into those batteries, which are then um, giving power to his home. And that's some of the bamboo flooring you can see there, sustainable wood. Um, sorry, the color on this projector isn't very good. Doesn't make it look very good. Um, the water quality thing, during the development of Pacifica, um, we worked really hard with the stormwater management plan, which is already pretty strict in Carborough um, for developments. And we went above and beyond what they were requiring, and they were just really grateful. We did, um, the bottom left shows you a monitoring device that we had put in um, to monitor the amount of silt that was coming out of our community when it was being built, um, because we had these creeks that we wanted to watch. And um, and we just, and the, the kind of things in the top left were these kind of silt fences that would filter out anything that was getting runoff um, from the construction. Um, when you have so much earth removal, there's inevitably a lot of that going on, and um, we really were concerned about it, worked really hard. And, um, yep, so there's um, one of our compost bins and a clothesline. We've got a, a lot of people talking about clotheslines around here, putting up clotheslines, you know, and um, talking about using the sun instead of our dryers, and um, that's really important and composting as well. And the bikes, we've been really big on bikes, and so we have a lot of sheds. That's in the early days when our mailboxes were in a bike shed. <laughs> now they're here in the common house, because the common house is done. And we now have bike racks in there as well, so it looks a lot nicer now. Um, we have one of our residents um, has a, a, a biodiesel uh, Mercedes, an old Mercedes that he's built to biodiesel, and another guy actually works at the plant. He's really big on it. Um, and then another one of our residents has an electric vehicle, so we're just all about that. We love promoting that and helping them. If y'all are really interested in co-housing, there's a new book out by, you can't even read it, um, but if you search for Graham Meltzer. Meltzer, Graham Meltzer, that's right. Why did this thing, I thought I had this uh, better shape before we started, but anyway. Um, so there's a no, new book about co-housing. I encourage y'all to check it out. And um, also the cohousing.org site has a directory, as you can see there's nine now in North Carolina, officially called co-housing. Um, and Footpath is a new one. I encourage y'all to find out about it because they're, um, they've bought some land and they're um, coming together in Durham somewhere. Um, I don't know if I can get that any, but any, anyway, go to the cohousing.org website and look for some of that. Uh, yeah, I, I got this uh, projector from UNC Surplus for $75 and <laughs> see why. So that's it. Um, I'm willing to take your questions and um, if I think of anything else to tell you about it. Um, there were so many ideas that I had to share with you, but I, I didn't even know, you know what might be interesting to you. You know, you might ask how it's been for us and you know how we've met our ideals. So, right. I have a couple of questions about how you got started in terms of how large was the core group and how did you acquire the property? Well, um, actually, since I wasn't in the very beginning, let me try to turn that off. 
Um, I know that we had an early, yeah, so the question is how did we come together and beginning and how did we buy our, acquire our land together? Um, we had a, um, someone who already, who bought this land for us who was in the project early on um, and worked with Giles Blunden who's our architect and he's, he's been doing sustainable design for 30 years and he's just his experience at Arcadia he's quite a visionary so he really he really steered steered the early process um, as far as how it actually came I mean that was a few years later from that early process so I don't exactly know how how they decided on you know the land and how it, it would be but the the his he formed a group called the Carborough Collaborative Development Association Giles and this um, Paul, who lives at Arcadia now, can't remember his last name. Um, and yeah, uh, Paul, the guy who um, worked with Giles to buy the land in the beginning, um, and they so they created this organization that then, you know, sold the houses and sold the houses at the end. Um, so it was kind of like you know Giles had to be able to put up a lot of money. And so did this other guy. So it was kind of a, you know, it took some visionaries there. Um, there wasn't a lot of money coming from a lot of different people. Um, it was just a few really committed visionary types of people um, that, that wanted to come together. And then there was always the promise of selling the homes. And so when we started to get really serious, we had a reservation agreement that everybody signed and put money down on. Um, so we put a certain percentage down at that point and, and um, you know, had many years to wait before it was a reality. So it was kind of risky in some ways, but, you know, we believed in it and his experience and felt like it was really going to happen. Just so was me. it about seven years from, did you say it first started in 99, but actually 2006 is when it was finished. Yeah, we had a few delays yeah. with construction, our initial construction contract. Um, we had some trouble negotiating that with with the builder, and that took some time. And then we had um, the neighbors around here were kind of um, concerned about our um, project going up, and so they um, put a loss. They sued the town actually for their review of the project, claimed that the town had not reviewed the um, parking situation um, adequately. So you know they. The town actually won the suit. It was it was um, a big waste of time, um, but it delayed us for a whole year to get through that. But the judge ruled in our favor, or the town's favor, said, "Yeah, you reviewed this adequately. There's not going to be a huge parking problem because of who we are, um, for one thing." But um, they were worried about traffic, really. <laughs> so, um, but I think um, I think our relationships with the neighbors have have. Been been great. I mean, we were definitely um, were concerned about that at first because we felt like they didn't want us here. But <laughs> I think it's improved a lot. Anybody else? Yeah. Did residents here use a common financing institution to purchase here, or or did they get their own financing in different ways? Different. Yeah. The, the question is, did did, um, did people get their own financing or use the same bank or financial institution yeah. for financing? And we all did our own thing. Okay. Um, there were lots of recommendations that we shared, um, mm -hmm. lots of good experiences with mortgage brokers that we shared, and 
some of us went together to get better rates that way. Um, um, Self-help credit union was the one that was doing was um, where all the the reservation monies were going and stuff. That's the one that CCDA was using, and they have a lot of good values that we liked, and so a lot of people also worked with them for their individual um, mortgages. But um, but yeah, it was that was all very individual. Yeah, sometimes it's favorable as a group too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So wherever we could, but. The timelines were so different. The homes were all, the closings were all so staggered. We started on the south, these first two rows, back in June. Um, the first one went in May 1st, 2006. And then the last one over here wasn't until, um, I believe, October 2007. So you can see there was a large time in between um, when they were still building this house as well. Um, so... Um, it was hard to coordinate all those different closings, but sometimes we did. Is the construction all completed now? Is the construction completed? Yes, it is. Um, we have a lot of landscaping projects to do, and the builder still has some um, uh, CUP items, a conditional use permit that you get from the town when you build, um, has certain requirements, and so we have a few more of those things to to get in and the builders still helping with that, but they're mostly like fences and and different kinds of plants that have to be here and stuff. Because of the drought, um, the the guy who was hired by the builder to to plant didn't want to because he didn't want to use the water. Um, so we've agreed that he should go ahead and plant and we'll use our cistern water. So we've all teamed up in different groups to take care of the plants that are in common. Um, to keep them alive during the drought with our cistern rain barrels and stuff like that. Who was the builder? The builder was Resolute. Okay. I won't say anymore. Karen, <laughs> 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 yeah. thanks, first of all, for such a good presentation. It was an excellent presentation. Okay. Thanks. Oh, the, question, the question I have for you is you did a really good job talking about so many aspects of co-housing and you already talked about it, but would you mind talking a little bit more about the sense how it worked out here in terms of neighborliness? Is, your, is the common house unlocked? Do, does everybody know each other? Do you like do you have to suddenly run off and you leave Gerald with your son with somebody and just say, yeah, I've heard that's a big, big thing. I'd like to hear mm -hmm. your impression. Yeah, so okay. So Dillip's asking about the aspect of neighborliness. Neighborliness. And... Um, yeah, it's um, it's definitely it's definitely there. Um, I I do run off and leave my son every day. <laughs> I'm, just kidding. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, I um, I I we do come together for lots of different projects and and um, and lots of different things. The common house is locked at nine o'clock every night. There's um, one household that comes through and locks it because um, during construction there's actually some vandals and coming through the neighborhood. But now that we're all here, I don't think we see people wandering through as much. But um, we just feel a little bit better locking it. And, um, you know, different people are doing different things like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's if, if I have a, a project in my yard, you know, I can ask for help and borrow tools. We have a lot of tools being shared amongst us. Um, we do um, grab a... If, you know, I'm a single mom. If I'm eating dinner by myself, I grab my neighbor and we go eat together out here on the screen porch. Or um, 
we have a, a out we, we want to have more of these but there's one outdoor seating area right near my house and we we like the idea of having more seated you know kind of areas in common which is if you're sitting there it's an invitation you know for someone to come join you you know wherever it is because if you're on your own porch you're never really sure you know it's just like any neighborhood you're like well I'm gonna go go you know hang out on their porch with them or not so um uh, that yeah, it's um, we bike together places downtown, walk over there for different events. We have a we have a lot of communication going on on our listserv, um, which a lot of people are getting a little bit crazy about because it's just so much electronic information to keep up with as it is. So we have lots of bulletin boards in here, and we put stuff up there all the time about things that we want to share. Um, there's one in there, um, neighbors helping neighbors is what it's called. And um, you just put whatever you know you need help with. Just put a note up there, you know, somebody will respond. Or um, because it is a big community, and that is one of the challenges. Usually, co-housing communities are much smaller. Um, so this is like one of the biggest ones in the nation, if not the biggest. I haven't researched it. Um, so there was a little a little concern about how it's going to be to get all these people um, coming together and making decisions together, and really feeling like they own those decisions. I mean, if you can imagine consensus with this many, that many people, it's like 100 people. Um, it's kind of challenging, but um, and it does feel a little bit like two neighborhoods, just from from having you know the people right around. I don't know if you all noticed the way that the homes. This is also typical of co-housing that the homes kind of face in towards each other. So I don't face out towards my car or you know the outside world. I face in toward the community. That's where my front door is. Um, and so there's just kind of this um, sense that that's where your priority is, um, coming and going. You know, try to walk through the community. Don't just sneak out the back to your car. You know? <laughs> so I don't know if that answers it or not. I think we're still getting to know each other because a lot of the people, even though I've been meeting with these people for a long time, there's been a lot of turnover as well. There's been some people that have stayed through throughout, but other people, their lives changed, they had to go, they couldn't wait any longer, you know, something came up in their lives. Um, so in a lot of ways, actually finally living together, you know, you have to kind of get to know each other in a different way. So we're still doing that. So, yeah. When it comes time for resale, I don't know if people, if there's been turnover since construction has been completed on the Davis, but when it comes time for resale, is there like an interview process? For no. No, the question is, is there's like an interview or screening process? No. I mean, it's kind of a self-selected group of people, you know, people that are attracted to the same kind of ideas, you know, come together. And um, it, when, I mean, it hasn't happened yet. There's been maybe two turnovers since the actual construction has, was done. Um, and there's a few places being rented. Um, we have a list of people on a, on a waiting list. Um, but there's no formal process once you've bought your home to honor that list. You know, people will probably do it out of the goodness of their hearts because they know these people have been interested for a long time. But, um, but yeah, there's really no, it's like we hope people who, who would come, like, it's a good question, too, about people who rent, too, because they don't always know, oh, it sounds great, but what's the real commitment? And it is a big commitment, you know, four hours of community labor a month per household, um, things like that, you know, coming to the meeting and participating in meetings and stuff like that, um, respecting all the different rules about sustainability that we have, you know, about the use of the kitchen or the, 
the composting or whatever it may be, the trash collecting, all that kind of stuff. So we have a notebook that we put together, just kind of like, okay, here's what you need to know, you know, about this weird place. But, <laughs> um, but it's really not unlike any development, really, when you have to share things like trash or whatever, you know, a lot of real basic stuff. So definitely not an interview. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't turn anyone away. We're really into diversity, so. Okay. The question is about pet policy, and we do have a pet policy, but it's not it's not real restrictive. I mean, it's just it's kind of like common sense stuff that a that Carbro you know already has about leash laws and things like that. You know, we're just trying to respect. You know, trying to encourage people to respect um, other people's yards with their dogs and, you know, other people's animals, you know, make sure they're getting along and stuff like that. But there's no, there's no restriction on number. We haven't, you know, we probably, if we had, what we were trying to do when we were talking about the pet policy in the early days is before we were a physical place. And we were thinking, well, this is one of those things where you don't want to overthink it now because you don't want to exclude, you don't want to over, you know. So, and we feel like, if we ever have something that comes up that seems to not fit, you know, with the neighbors, you know, we'll try to address it then, you know, and trying to trying to get away from the idea of having to have everything written in a policy, you know, and and having more of a general. This is the general feel of how we want things, you know. We want to be good neighbors, you know, um, and in close proximity to one another. Yeah, it's it's nice not to hear a dog barking constantly, but <laughs> actually. The neighbor in the woods the other night, their dog out in the yard was um, through the woods, was barking, and then those woods, it just echoes <laughs> like this dog. I went over and had to visit him for a while because they were away, and I was like, oh, poor puppy, he's all alone and barking and looking for friends. So um, he got my attention. But yeah, um, yeah, it's not really been such a big problem. So. I mean, you're home and you can do whatever you want. You can fence your yard. There's certain architectural guidelines. We have a notebook that people, we request people look at it and talk to their neighbors if they want to build a fence or any other structure or whatever um, to try to meet a certain kind of look and feel, you know. But, um, but there's no real, um, you know, real strictness about, you know, Numbers of people per household, or number of animals per household. Like that. Yeah. So. Um, you mentioned that there were rentals here. Is there is there a cap, or is there any thought of putting a cap on the number of rentals that are going to exist here? That's a good question about rentals. Whether we were thinking of doing any kind of cap on that, or restricting rentals at all. Um, and it's true that we we're very concerned about that. Um, especially in the early years of, of discussions like, um, you know, how committed would a student be who's only going to be, you know, here we are in student, you know, central, um, who's only here for a short time. Um, but um, we've seen really great participation from the people that have been renting. Um, we've seen about the same amount of commitment from them as we've seen from people who own their homes, I mean, and and we've seen the other, but people who own their homes, there are several that don't really participate either. So I always kind of look at it as that um, the more people that can find out, I mean, the affordability aspect is really important. So the more people that can be involved, 
in co-housing, whether they're renting or owning, um, the better. So if that makes it more accessible, that's great. And um, we have a couple people who are actually living at other co-housing communities who are renting here because they want to live here eventually, but they don't want to right now, so they are renting in the meantime. I think it's a great way for other people who might find renting more attractive to find out about it. And I think, too, that the, the commitment level, like I said, doesn't matter whether you're renting or owning. The, some of the people who own here don't do anything, and I think it's an ebb, ebb and flow thing. We're carrying them right now. Someday they'll carry us. We'll kind of go back and forth with our own level of participation, perhaps, with what's going on in our lives. And I think that's fine. That's part of my commitment to community, is that not everybody has to do everything. You know. uh, well, as you mentioned, <laughs> in we have a policy which actually isn't really followed that houses can't be rented longer than it was about two years. Oh. But we had a visit by a woman from Austria who had a full housing committee in Austria. Their community, nobody owns. Everybody mm. rents. Mm -hmm. So it's a very different style, and it seems to work for them. Mm -hmm. And when I asked her about how do you deal with conflicts, she kind of smiled and says, we're all renters. If somebody if somebody doesn't fit, because they're yearly leases, it's very easy for them to leave. Whereas if somebody doesn't fit in a community where you buy, it's, or, or especially mm -hmm. when you build a house, it's a different level. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So I would see where you, where you mean, like the renting would um, wouldn't necessarily require a lot of extra effort to come to a consensus if you can just leave. I mean, in some ways, you know, your commitment would be greater to, to find a, a way well, to I, you know, work things out. I, I wasn't further on this whole but I think the concern was your concern that someone who's running doesn't have a commitment, but the woman from Austria. Oh, yeah. Well, I would think that actually in Europe, people rent a lot more than oh, here anyway. So that may be a different cultural aspect. Hmm. Um, I'm, I know my experience in, in Germany was very few people own their own homes. I don't know. But uh, I think we probably should wrap it up so people can get kids to bed and stuff. Um, but thanks for coming out. And I'm happy to um, walk anybody um, around. Um, but I ask that you also help with cleanup. <laughs> thanks, Karen. Thank thanks.